Welcome to Elevate, the masterclass where we dissect the elements of exceptional achievement and lifestyle design with a focus on personal growth and real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Tyler Chesser. Elevate Nation, welcome back. This is Tyler Chesser. I'm so thankful to have you here. And I am blessed and grateful to have Arne Sinadella here with me today. I love this conversation with Arne because we are doing as we are distilling 35 plus years of real estate investing and transactional experience and how he is evolving today as an investor. You are going to gain tremendous wisdom and value today. You're going to learn how to develop that gut instinct in terms of evaluating opportunities, evaluating partners, evaluating markets. You're going to learn about how to live to fight another day in your real estate portfolio so that you can capture the tremendous upside, so that you can weather the storm of any sort of challenge that you're facing today. There's so much more that you're gonna learn, but I wanna tell you that this is a game-changing conversation. I know I say that, I feel like I say that too much maybe, uh, but today's conversation is truly an eye-opener for people who wanna go big, who wanna evolve, who wanna become the greatest versions of themselves. So I wanna encourage you to buckle up Elevate Podcast is all about mindset, mind expansion, and personal development for high-performing real estate investors. I'm your host, Tyler Chesser, and I am a professional real estate investor and entrepreneur. It is my job to decode the stories, habits, and multifaceted expertise of world-class investors and other experts to help you elevate your performance and lifestyle. Are you ready to take it to another level? It is time. Let's raise the bar today. By the way, we're talking with Arne Sinadella, the founder of Spark Investment Group. Of course, you can find Arne at Spark Investment Group, and we will put a link in the show notes as to where you can find him and learn more about what he's up to. And of course, other links in the show notes as to where you can find him on social media and you can engage with him. And I wanna encourage you to pay the fee. Before we dive into this episode, share this episode with a friend. Grab the link on the podcast player app and pay it forward and share this episode. That's all we ask. We ask you to pair, share it with one person. And if you share it, then guess what? You're paying it forward. You know, you're adding value to someone else. And by the way, the only way that we can grow is if you do share this with someone else. So we appreciate you doing that in the past and you may be a result of that share. And so I wanna welcome you to being a part of this community as well. We're gonna pour into your cup today, massive value. I wanna encourage you to not only buckle up, but also to share it yourself. Give us a rating and review or subscribe and subscribe or follow Elevate Podcast on wherever it is that you listen or watch podcasts because first of all, we wanna hear from you and we want you to be notified of future episodes because we're gonna to continue to bring the heat. We have tremendous, massive value coming up on this podcast and you know what we're getting close to four years in terms of our anniversary here and so it's very very exciting and guess what we're just getting started so without further ado please enjoy this fantastic conversation with Arn Sinadella. Arn Sinadella, welcome to Elevate my friend how you doing? Hey Tyler great to be here thank you so much for having me on and uh, look forward to having a Nice chat with you that hopefully will provide some value to your listeners and help them on their investing journey and 
you know, become better, smarter investors. I love that. Thank you for setting that intention. And as I was getting familiar with your story from a high level prior to today's episode, I was excited about that because you've gone on quite a journey and you've you've really continued to evolve you've continued to elevate yourself and you've elevated the way that you've had an outlook on this vehicle of real estate so talk to me a little bit about that journey and and some of your backstory yeah well thank you so um i was a pretty typical middle income american kid uh you know was taught to work hard in school uh, do well in school, get a degree, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, I actually ended up getting a master's degree in physical chemistry of everything from the University of Michigan. And I then decided, well, I'm not sure academia or research is for me. So I returned to the San Francisco Bay Area where I grew up and joined my dad's residential brokerage business in Menlo Park, California in 1978 and uh, had the good fortune of selling single family properties, small income properties, and probably the best market in the world, Silicon Valley, and uh, did that for about 35 years. Um, my father not only taught me the brokerage business, but he also taught me the investing business. So he was a very active real estate investor. And what he told me back when I was probably 23, 24, um, the real estate brokerage is great to produce the income, but if you want to create wealth and financial security, investing is really the key. And uh, he was a single family home investor. And so being the good son that I am, I followed his path and started to develop a single family rental portfolio over the years and uh, have recently kind of transitioned to multifamily, which we can get into as we talk. I love that story. And, you know, we, we have quite a bit in common, obviously, with our original background in the brokerage business. And so I can certainly appreciate, you know, really, especially, and I, I can't fully appreciate it because I didn't do the brokerage business for nearly as long as you were. I mean, 35 years in that business. I mean, it, at, at a certain point, that's becoming, you know, a level of mastery that, you know, only few can really talk about. And obviously, as you mentioned, you know, doing that in one of the hottest, if not the hottest real estate market in the entire world is pretty remarkable and exciting. So obviously, there's a tremendous amount of transactional and business building experience within the real estate space. And then a lot of wisdom that you gained from your dad, not only in building that business and excelling in that business, and continuing to, um, you know, excel over the course of many decades, which obviously includes, you know, ups and downs in the marketplace and all those different kind of things. And thinking about that financial security and investing in real estate, you know, from not only generating fees and, and adding value as a broker, but then investing and in creating that financial security through originally single family rental portfolio. So could you talk to me about perhaps why you ultimately decided that, you know what, that isn't necessarily the path that you wanted to take longer term in terms of securing your financial future? Yeah, so uh, good question. So um, I was basically a single family investor for 30, 35 years. I own rental property in the Bay Area. 
also Charlottesville, Charlottesville, Virginia. And then I did have the good fortune to invest in Austin, Texas back in the early 2000s. And um, the single family is what I knew. It's what my father did. He never moved to multifamily. He actually eventually migrated to multi-tenant office buildings. So I didn't have much direct experience to uh, uh, apartment investing. And uh, maybe about eight, nine years ago, kind of made a life transition, moved clear across country to Greenville, South Carolina with my longtime partner, Laura continued single family investing, and then um, had a chance phone call right when COVID hit with a young investor buddy of mine here in Greenville. And he calls me on the phone and he goes, Arn, what do you think is going to happen with rent collection? So this would have been March 2020, right? And everybody was like, oh my God, are we going to collect the rent? What's going to happen? The The magnitude of the COVID issue was just kindly, finally, we were finally becoming aware of it. And uh, he had moved into multifamily investing. And at the end of the call, he suggested a podcast on multifamily. And basically, I started to consume podcasts and uh, spent hours a day listening to multifamily podcasts from a variety of people, including yourself. And uh, the light bulb kind of went off. And I would say the other thing for me was I had done the single family rental business for decades. And to a certain level, I was kind of bored with it. So it was interesting to me to do something new and I think one of the things I particularly enjoy with multifamily is the more team aspect, the more relational aspect of the business. And that's something I really enjoy to this day is partnering with others to kind of purchase these large assets. And the other thing that allows me to do is now I don't have to do it all, right? Uh, I have a certain skill set, but truth be told, I'm weak in other areas, right? Um, so by going to multifamily, I was able to partner pe with people who had the skills that I did not have and use the full benefit of my skills and kind of, it takes two to make the world go right or whatever you want to say. Uh, the 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 sum is greater than the whole of its parts or whatever. So going to multifamily allows me to do what I want to do and I enjoy doing. And then I have people who are better at other things taking that that role. It's interesting. I wanted to circle back, you know, thinking about literally three years ago this month when we're recording, we had obviously the global pandemic hit, which obviously was a big surprise to everybody. And, you know, in so many different aspects. And of course, in real estate, the first inclination to the entire market was, you know, no one's going to pay rent because no one's going to work and everybody's locked down and all these crazy things. I'm actually curious, what was it about multifamily that you seemed would weather or you felt like could potentially weather that storm better than single family? 
because it seems like that was one initial sort of catalyst to kind of pushing you into consuming podcasts on multifamily space. Also, you mentioned kind of getting to a point where you were feeling a little bit bored with that approach. Um, but what was it about multifamily that you felt would weather that storm uh, better than single family? Well, uh, so I would say one of the issues was uh, housing affordability. Uh, and I think clearly as a society through our government, uh, there's a clear intent to assist people in maintaining housing, right? And and most of that most of that support comes at the affordable level. Um, and I've always kind of been a steak and potatoes type investor, so I kind of like that bread and butter, that solid workforce type housing. That's where the majority of your tenants are, right? And and people are always going to need a place to live. If times get tough, maybe they give up the fancy apartment downtown, but they still need adequate, safe housing. Um, and then, of course, uh, you can kind of manage greater vacancy if you own a 100-unit apartment than if you own five single-family homes. So I think those are the two factors that kind of entered into it. Um, that kind of started to lead to the transition. Um, and I guess the other thing I'd say from a personal uh, perspective, I would manage my own rentals uh, when they were geographically in my area. And, and we talk about mindset and growth. And one of my growth points had to be, there are people who can do things better than I. And I think for a while, it was kind of hanging on to the notion that I'm the best property manager around. And so one of my growth points was to kind of realize there are actually people who are better at it and give them the ball and let them run. And, and that, again, transitions really nicely into the multifamily model. It's typically property managers typically more affordable and oftentimes more professional as you get up the ladder. So I think that was also a factor. Man, I just really want to honor you for really going through that evolution. Because if you think about it, for doing what you had been doing for 30 plus years and being willing to look at yourself and say, you know what, there may be a better way of doing this is such a remarkable thing to really point to. Because most people would say, look, I'm not willing to admit that I could have perhaps gone further and leverage other people's strengths better and recognize that there are economies of scale and a different strategy. So, I mean, does that resonate with you? I mean, what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I guess one could say I'm a little slow and it took me a little while to figure that out, but um, I, I'm not much for looking backwards. You know, I, I don't know, for me, you make the best decisions you can at the time and you then see the results and there's nothing wrong with course correcting when you're ready to correct. And you and I, uh, before the, the call started, we kind of talked about how after my residential or during my residential brokerage career, I kind of started to move to commercial re real estate. Uh, but then I became a father. 
And so I had to make the decision that I felt was best with the time. So I stuck with residential because it was providing the income my family needed. It wasn't time to take a risk and go on a new adventure. And so I have no regrets about that. I think I made the best decision I could at the time. Um, and I think the other thing, I'm 68 years old, and I think Albert Einstein once said, as long as you're learning, you're not dying. That 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 may be, I may not have the quote exactly right, but the intent is there. And so I think we all have to be continually open to learning, whether it's personal development, spiritual growth, business tactics, relationships, and we have this great long life. And really, it's more fun as you evolve and grow and, and become, if not better, maybe different. So for me, that's really the exciting part. And I'm 68. But you know, I figure I still got another 20, 25 years on this planet. Knock on wood, I have good health. I take care of fitness, which is another big kind of growth point for me. Uh, so I still have a lot of runway and I'm excited to see what, what happens, you know. So try new things, see how you like them and keep moving. I love the example that you're setting, and I think it's applicable for all of us because no matter where we are on our stage or on our stage of development or on our journey, there's always an opportunity to evolve and change is the only constant. And how do we embrace that change? How do we evolve into that? And how do we allow our identity to expand as a result of stepping into something new? Because the only way that we can learn something new is if we try and if we put ourselves in a position of a bit of discomfort. So let's talk a little bit about that evolution that you experienced about three years ago that you really stepped into and said, you know what, I, I kind of want to make some changes and I want to step into the ability of leveraging a team and leveraging other people's strengths uh, against some of my weaknesses and looking and saying, you know what, I'm not going to do it all. And, and perhaps that may be the best way for me to, to take this forward. So tell me a little bit about that evolution and what that looked like after consuming so much of this educational content. Yes. Yeah, so uh, great question. And uh, I'm kind of an old school guy. And I know People in this space will say, go big as soon as you can. And I can understand that. I can understand that. I think maybe an equally valid perspective is there is a benefit to step-by-step -step financial, you know, foundational growth where you don't get up over your skis too quickly. You, you, you grow in a systematic way, build a good foundation, uh, which now here in 2023, trust me, those who did are in good position. Those who didn't are in the tough position. Um, so uh, what I did was I started investing as an LP. I probably made five or six investments as an LP, with operators that I thought had some kind of track record, often meeting them through podcasts like your own. Uh, because at the end of the day, you're putting great trust in your GP operator. And so I think you have to get some personal sense of who that person is. So started to investing as an LP, 
then uh, I started, I'd sell one of my single families and I'd buy a fourplex. I'd sell two of my single families, trade into a 12-unit building. So I started buying some of those smaller buildings and also started bringing in local investor partners uh, to do some of these things. And um, I was talking to a potential GP one time uh, as an LP. And at the end of the conversation, I said, hey, I think I have the ability to raise capital. So if you ever need somebody to raise capital, please let me know. Uh, and sure enough, about a month later, the guy called and said, hey, we got a deal here, blah, blah, blah. And so that was my first opportunity to get in as the GP. So I did a couple co-GP deals, um, started looking intensely in my market, Greenville, South Carolina, and circling back to strength and weaknesses. I knew I wasn't the best operator. It's just not who I am. I'm kind of big picture. I like to freewheel. I like to network. I like to stir things up. But to actually do the nitty gritty of the operation of a multi-million dollar business, which is apartment, I wasn't the guy. So uh, I had started turning over some of my residential rentals to a local property manager here, a guy named Brian Walsh. And for two years, well, maybe not two years, let's say a year, I was after him. Come on, Brian, let's do a multifamily deal because I knew he could run. He managed about 400 units here. He had a renovation crew. Come on, Brian, let's do a deal. And his reaction was, oh, I do single family. I know it. I'm good. So I had to keep working on him a little bit. And we finally found a deal. And that might have been two years ago. So we've now completed four deals, totally maybe 500 units, because once he got in it and saw our first little deal was 43 units and they were identical one bedroom units. So he loves that. He's got the measurements down, the orders at Home Depot. We get a turnover. Give me two for blah, blah, blah. So I had to find him. And once I did, then the whole thing took off. So that was kind of the elevate, uh, uh, the the progress. LP, co-GP, find the right partner and move into to lead sponsorship. If you were to look back, were there any learnings or experiences or wisdom that you gained that you were kind of surprised and didn't expect to learn through that process and through that evolution? Um, I, I probably should have started finding the right partner before going after some of these properties, because what I would find is I might find something I liked that made sense to me, but I didn't have the confidence to pull the trigger till I had that teammate there. I mean, the other part of it is as a as a as an operator, as a sponsor, you have a fiduciary duty to your investors. You're asking them to put their hard-earned capital in your care to produce returns. 
And the only way I can do that, and I suspect the only way you can do that, is if you're confident in your team and your ability to execute. And so there, there was a little lack of confidence because I didn't have that piece. And so I maybe spent a year looking at stuff that I ultimately didn't pull the trigger on, that now I wish I had pulled the trigger on, but I didn't have that piece. And again, no regret. It's just learning. I moved it as quick as I could, and uh, but that's how it kind of evolved. That makes sense. You know what it makes me think of? It's like there's this balance that I feel like we have to strike between giving yourself permission to take action before you have every piece in line, but also build the infrastructure ahead of scaling. Because like you said, I mean, I think there's a lot of conflicting advice out there. There's some advice that says, go as big as you can as as quickly as possible. Don't worry about having every answer, you know, you'll figure it out and it'll work well, it'll work fine. And yes, that can work well, but also that can put you in a position where you're in big trouble. And if you don't have the appropriate infrastructure, you know, from a partnership perspective, from a team perspective to handle that type of scale, you're not going to benefit from the economies of scale, you're going to be, you know, you're going to be harmed by that scale. Does that make sense? Oh, totally. And I think you don't want to crash and burn, right? I mean, like Omar Khan, who's kind of a cool cat. I like him. He's kind of irreverent. He'll go, he'll go like, we're going to make mistakes, but learn to fight another day, you know, live to fight another day. So mm -hmm. as long as you don't go down in a total crash and burn, you can have a few little body blows and 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 kind of keep going. Um, and so I can give you another example of how we've evolved. So uh, my partner, Brian, and I, I'm a good real estate guy. I'm a good networker. I have a good instinct about properties and locations based on 40 years. I'm kind of a gut instinctual investor. Um, where's my HP 12C? I can't find it, but I bought <laughs> property before Microsoft Excel existed. So I know that's mind blowing, but uh, uh, think about that for a second. So Brian and I are real estate guys and we have two or three syndication deals that were underway, and we were able to take care of the financing and accounting. We get our K-1s out mid-February. We're probably some of the first people because we just keep tracking it month by month. But the truth is, that's not our strength. We kind of do it by boot, boot force. So over time... I've developed a relationship with another guy who lives up in Cary, North Carolina, met him in the virtual best ever conference back in 2020. And he's invested in a few of our deals and we're now working together. And he's a CFO for a major tech company out of the Bay Area. So we're now bringing him onto the team because he has the financial accounting modeling skills that Brian and I lack. So we had a couple of deals going. We did it fine. We saw where we could do better. And it was just a matter of 
who's the right person to bring in. And again, you don't bring in a partner two days after you meet them. You got to kind of get to know the lay of the land. And so he's been wanting to try to leave his W-2 and transition into full-time multifamily. So he's a great addition. And now our team's even stronger because this guy can do spreadsheets all day long and and he's good about managing money and budgeting and cash flowing. So he's going to be a great addition to the team. So now that's the third member that's come in and we'll be even better for it. You know, what's really cool about that. I mean, thinking about living to fight another day, you know, just that concept and continuing to show up, it never goes exactly as you expect it to. But as you continue to work the business, as you continue to work through challenges and create opportunities, you know, a lot of things don't go as expected in a very positive direction. Some things don't go as expected in a negative direction. And as you continue to fight, fight for another day and you work in your business, and by the way, you continue to go out there and network and you find new relationships you invest in those relationships, you become perhaps in some ways surprised about what is then delivered to you if you're looking for it, if you are aware for it. And, you know, the other thing too, that that you mentioned there that I wanted to go into a little bit deeper was the gut instinct. And my assumption is that you've developed that through 35 years of looking at deals and, you know, transacting and, and just really kind of working the business day in and day out. But are there any pieces of advice that you might give to your younger self about developing and strengthening that gut instinct? Um, you know, I think it's just practice and repetition. It's just looking, you know, there's some guy who talks about the rule of 10,000 hours. I forget the name, but Malcolm it's like, Gladwell. yes, yes. Where basically you got to do something 10,000 hours before you become a master. And so there's kind of no shortcut for experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think it just kind of develops over time. And and, and kind of what I mean by that also is there's a quantitative aspect to real estate investing, but there's also a qualitative aspect either to the property, the building, or the location. And so it's kind of left brain, right brain, the yin, the yang, both I think kind of have to enter into it. And I think when you can kind of tune into the non-quantitative factors, you may have a little bit of a competitive advantage and that maybe kind of circles back to local knowledge. Uh, Because in my mind, like in my market, I don't have to go to CoStar to know what the rents are. I look at an apartment, we know because we own here, we're here all every day. And so, uh, and we also know you can look at a map and you could have location A, fabulous. You could go a half mile away, location B, looks pretty close on the map, but you living in Louisville, you might know, hey, A is hot and happening and B still a no-fly zone. And so I think that, helps the kind of intuitive sense of of what the property is and what it can be. 
You know, one thing on our due diligence checklist that we have is obviously we have all the different reports that we need to gather. We have all the different types of inspections that we need to do. We have all the different financial, um, you know, forensic analysis that we've got to go through to verify trust and verify all this information. But one of the things that we have on our due diligence checklist is how does it feel at the property? And there's an intangibility of how it feels. And I think you develop, you know, a sense of, well, wait a minute, you know, we should have seen that we should have felt that before we did that deal, or we should have identified that it felt like, you know what, maybe there's a something here, whether it's, you know, positive or negative in terms of trending in terms of that particular block, that neighborhood, or the asset itself you can feel into this stuff over time. I mean, does that make sense to you as well? Uh, oh, it, it totally makes sense to me. And I guess one suggestion to, to people who are kind of going out, trying to find their markets, uh, just don't talk to real estate people. Go into the restaurant, talk to the wait staff, you know, talk to the guy at the taxi stand because they got nothing to sell you, right? So mm -hmm. whatever they say, good or bad, is probably going to be true. Um, the other thing I also do when I'm investigating new markets is I subscribe to like the local business journal, mm -hmm. you know, and, you know, for five bucks a month, you start getting all this info. And so, but it is, you can feel it in the air. Um, when Laura and I decided to move to Greenville, South Carolina from San Francisco Bay Area, most of our friends thought we were nuts, okay? Um, we were going to move to Charlotte, but then when we saw Greenville, we knew. And we were only here three days, but we could feel the energy and the optimism. You can also visually see the construction and the investment, but there is a vibe to it. And here we are eight, nine years later, and the dynamic growth is continuing to go. Uh, and we didn't move here for the real estate. We moved here for the quality of life, and we can't be happier. But I think kind of tuning into some of that uh, is an important piece of the puzzle. And as you develop it over time, you know, it's like we always we have an expression about that little voice in the back of your head, right? And somebody's talking to you and the little voice is going off and he's saying, uh -uh -uh. you're probably going to be well served to listen to that little voice and the intuition's the same thing. Yeah. And, and the way that I develop that is, you know, through daily practice of observing and observing not only my emotions, how I feel about a certain circumstance, living a mindful life. You know, it's like if I'm having a meeting with someone and this feeling comes up, that's like, this just doesn't feel right. I can't really put my finger on it. Why? But there's something off about this. And I've learned to really be more in touch with that uh, over the years of just kind of practicing and observing and just being curious. But is there anything else that you do to get more in tune with that feeling? Uh, well, so uh, I'm kind of a fitness fanatic, and I spend a lot of time uh, at the rec center. And uh, the the physical activity calms me down. Uh, I do yoga four or five times a week, and 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 as well as a whole host of other things. But so for me. I can, I'm kind of an energy energizer bunny. I mean, I can just go, 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 go. So 
the physical exercise gets me in touch with myself, you know, just as you're breathing and you feel the blood going, it kind of centers you. So I would say I'm not a meditator. Uh, the people who can do that, I'd say, great. Uh, I'm not quite there yet. But so for me, it's the physical activity that slows me down and kind of allows me to tune in and so forth. So I think that's the tool I use to kind of lower the noise level in here and 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 then be able to be more receptive to kind of what's going on. It almost feels like it's just give yourself some space to think and to be, you know, whether that is through physical activity or through journaling or speaking with someone else, having a conversation where you're just allowing your thoughts to come out so that you can create that space and truly have an understanding of what am I actually thinking or feeling beneath the surface. And one thing that I've recognized and I've heard from people that are much smarter than me on this topic is that our body truly is our subconscious mind. And if you really want to tap into infinite intelligence, it's about understanding what the cells of your body are telling you. And when they tell you something and you may not know it consciously, it's like, we've got to listen to that because I don't know about you, but every single time that I have recognized, you know what, but it's, but it, it sounds good and it looks good. You know, I know it doesn't feel right, but man, look at the numbers here. You know, it's like, I always go back and say, I wish I would have listened. Yeah. So, uh, my partner, Brian and I have an expression when we look at property and uh hopefully everybody takes this in the right way but we go did you get a tingle mm. and so you know so that's a, a way of talking about kind of that visceral sensation in your body when we see a property does that little thing get activated in there that is going hey this is pretty good or, hey, this is pretty bad. So we rely on the tingle test a little bit, meaning if we get excited when we see something, it means we're seeing the potential uh, and we do rely on that a lot. Uh, and I think the other thing um, in terms of partnership, uh, your best partners, your best friends are people who can talk truthfully to you. And they're people who you respect their opinion. And so I think to the degree you can surround yourself with those type people, it gives you valuable feedback and input in a loving, supportive way. And it's easier for one or me to accept some feedback from people that I know, like, and trust. And so surrounding yourself with those three or four people who are really like a mirror for you, right? That they're going to reflect back the truth because they love you and they care for you. Uh, that to me is also very important. So uh, Laura serves that purpose for me. She's not a real estate person, couldn't be bothered. But when she says something to me, I listen. My partner, Brian, I've come to trust his instinct. And of course, there are others in my life. So I think that 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 support network of key individuals also really helps it. And I think about the collective intelligence that you can tap into when you're talking about, hey, did you get that tingle? It's like, are we, what did your subconscious mind tell you? 
And when you collect that together, what we're talking about is now a more powerful mind through a mastermind. And there's something there that I think that can help you go much further faster when you have people that share the values that you share, they share, you know, hey, I want best for you. And you have a different perspective, you have a different set of strengths than I do. And we're all in this together. And what does your subconscious mind tell you? Is that kind of what you're saying? Yes, yes. And, and, uh, you know, uh, we have we're bombarded by input in our social media 365 24/7 day world boom 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 3 second attention spans and so to the degree you can filter out some of that noise uh that really helps and there's so much misinformation out there if you know who's kind of giving it to you straight, it helps you filter through some of the nonsense and actually focus on what, what makes sense and what's important. It totally does. And that's a great segue into what I wanted to ask you next was really your outlook on the market. And the reason why it's a great segue is because to your point, there's so much information, misinformation, conflicting data, conflicting opinions out there in terms of where we are in the economy, where we are in the real estate market and you know where things may be moving and now with your experience going through a handful of cycles you know in your own aspect and really uh not only within specific sub markets that you've focused on but also recognizing how the bigger global environment is all interrelated i mean what's your outlook i mean what are you seeing and what's your read on the market moving forward yeah that's a fabulous question and of course that's the 64 million dollar question um uh, so where do i start so what i would say is I'm a long-term investor and I look for quality. I look for value. I don't believe I can time the market. I've been in the business since 1978. I've been through a variety of cycles. I paid 11 and three quarters for my first mortgage. I sold houses at 16.5% in the spring of 1981. So I'm not going to lose my mind that rates are six and a half. I also understand that historically low rates doesn't mean typical. It means historic. So maybe don't count that they're going to go back there. So that's my rant for the day. So in terms of my long-term perspective, I believe in real estate. I don't try to time the market. Uh, if you look at it historically, typically what I've seen is you're going to have five, six, seven years of growth, boom, whatever you want to call it. You're then going to have about a year or two of some static with maybe a slight downturn. And then you might have about a year or two of flat which only establishes the new floor for the next period of growth. And if you were to go back to 1970 and plot real estate prices, you would see this same curve. So in my mind, uh, fixed rate debt, 
ample cash reserves. Uh, on all of our deals, I may have about $10,000 a unit sitting there not doing anything. We now got it in a money market earning three and a half. Yes, maybe we have too much capital sitting there and maybe it reduces returns a little bit, but I'd rather have that money sitting there. We've got two years of mortgage payments in the bank. We don't have to collect a rent and we're still gonna be okay. So fixed rate debt, ample cash reserves, buy in growth areas, and then don't sweat the immediate. So uh, I'm a buyer right now. I just entered into contract on two small deals here in the Carolinas. Um, I might be paying a little much for them. I mean, you know, you can argue I should maybe buy, pay $5,000 a door less, you know, and these are like $80,000, $90,000 units, okay? So maybe I could, maybe I should pay 5% less, but if my per perspective is five or seven years, and so the question I would ask is, if I buy a good property in a good location and I manage it professionally, am I going to be happy I bought that property seven years from now? I'm going to be happy. And it doesn't matter whether I paid 90 a door or 95, because there's so many other factors that enter into it. I have no idea what rates will be in five years. I have no idea what cap rates will be. Who knows what the national economy will be? And so my kind of approach is, can you buy a good property that makes sense today? Do you have rational and logical reasons for why you're optimistic about this location's or property's future? If you are, you make the investment, you have cash in the bank, you run it properly, 95 out of 100 times you're going to win. So that's my approach. So I would still buy, don't be afraid, don't be silly, but do it in a way that it's secure and you can ride out the next year to two years of turbulence that we may get. Man, there is tremendous wisdom into what you just shared. And I just want to encourage the listener to re-listen to everything that Aaron is saying. I mean, we can all sort of be our own economists or listen to the economists and think about where do we think things are going in the short term and even the long term and recognize that there is a business cycle that we are entering into and we're continuing to operate within. But ultimately, the principles that you just shared give you the ability of living to fight another day and capture the beautiful benefits of real estate. So what a great share and what a tremendous set of wisdom that you've shared with us today. Arn, I wanna transition into the rapid fire section of the podcast. This has oh. been so, so much fun today, but what we're calling this rapid fire section is the rare air questionnaire. This is all about being uncommon. And I think your commitment to the space and to designing your life over the past 35 plus years is rare and also your evolution by the way is rare as well so i want to ask you a few questions before i let you go if you okay. had to point to two or three of the most impactful books that you've read over the past few years what would those be and why um so one is the power of now uh by eckhart toll and uh, that's kind of a mindset book and the the 
the premise is, as long as you stay in the present, everything's okay. If you start going to the past, regret or have fear about the future, you get yourself me messed up. So that I would say is a very much uh, important uh, personal growth book to me. The other one I read many years ago was Seasons of a Man's Life. And it kind of chronicles a thousand men over a period of 20, 30 years and how men often go through many cycles that the, the details don't have to be the same. So you could have a 20-year-old that grinds to be head partner in a law firm. And then he turns 40 and it's like, oh my God, what do I got? And he has to adjust. Or you could have somebody who served for 20 years and now he's 40 and he's going to go, well, what am I doing with my life? So there's kind of cycles in a man's life. And so, and, and so that was an impactful book to me. I can't really say I had many impactful economic books. I mean, I kind of learned from my dad. And just to put it in perspective, he was born in 1921. So he lived through the Depression as a kid, fought in World War II. And so he's been the most instrumental person to me kind of in my investing life and also what it means to be a man. So uh, he never wrote a book, but that would be my third book. He's like a living, living book, right? A walking yeah, the, one of the last of the Mohicans, we'd say. So he's he's passed away maybe about 10 years ago, but uh, uh, he had quite a life and it's uh, it's amazing. Of course, often you don't totally appreciate your parents until they're gone. So mm -hmm. it's, you know, that's how it goes sometimes. Good reminder for all of us to be grateful for those moments that we still have. Uh, yes. if we do have those, but, but God rest your, your father's soul. And I can tell the, the impact that he had on you and, you know, his impact continues to live today as we share his story and, and really, really appreciate you sharing that. If you were to point to the biggest way that you elevate your life on a daily basis, what would that be? Um, I would say, uh, my fitness routine is really key and it's kind of a non-negotiable. And, uh, if I have to get up at 4 AM because I've got a seven o'clock meeting or something, I do it. So I'm very disciplined. Um, and then I, I think the other thing is just, you can do well for yourself financially but still treat everyone else with respect, courtesy, and dignity. And, and, and it's the same idea with how we deal with our tenants. If we take care of our tenants and treat them with personal respect and provide safe, affordable housing for them, there's a karma that's created. And it also turns out to make it a good investment, right? Because if you got happy tenants, you probably have a pretty well-running property. So the, the notion of karma, I'm not Mother Teresa, I call it enlightened self-interest. Do the best you can for you and your family, but don't lie, cheat, or steal to do it. Act with integrity. 
And I think that then comes back to you and gives bounty to your life. So that, that that's what I try to do. Couldn't agree more. If you take care of your customers, they'll take care of you. And that is a phenomenal principle for every investor to remember. Think about how are you delivering value for your residents, for your tenants across the board. And I promise you that will deliver, you know, rewards for you for the long haul. I'd be remiss if I didn't dig into the fitness routine a little bit because you've talked about that a few times. You mentioned yoga four to five days a week. What does the fitness routine actually look like? I mean, are we talking an hour long? How long are we talking and what else are you doing? No, we're talking multiple hours every day. I don't want to totally divulge because then your listeners would really think I'm whack, but uh, <laughs> it, it it's ultra fitness and uh, I do a lot of cardio and you know, thanks to a cell phone and an iPad, I can pedal away on my bike and still do some work. So I'm multitasking. So uh, it's several hours a day, seven days a week. And then I throw in a little bit of golf. And um, it's the way I have found for me to keep things together and keep me in a, in a good spot. Like, you know, if I'm troubled or bothered and I go to the gym and get in a hard workout, the problems don't seem to be as big a deal. And so uh, I do a lot of hiking and biking on the trails here and you can get outdoors and, and um, golf is kind of a spiritual experience. So, uh, I'm kind of, I don't know what you'd call it, but I'm very connected to my body and mm -hmm. it, it makes a big difference to me. So I, uh, I don't go to church, no problem going to church, but I found a way that works for me and I'm going to stick with it. Yeah. It makes me think of, you know, the state, when we think about our state, check in with that, because if you're trying to solve a problem in a poor state, you know, you're going to have more problems. But if you can elevate your state, then you're in a position to be more creative, more resourceful, more infinite. And I think that, you know, making that a part of your daily practice is so key. It's so important. So, And then the other part is you sleep great at night. So a good night's sleep is a, a good way to, 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 to be in a positive state also, right? So no uh, it, it's so major. You get a good night's sleep, you're ready to take on the world. You don't you're not going to be working at peak efficiency the next day. No, you're not. And by the way, we were meant to move. And I think that is why we have so many benefits of movement. Um, you know, whether it comes to sleep or, you know, our mental clarity or how we feel, you know, our, how we're encountering problems and challenges, how we're creating new relationships. I mean, we could go on and on and on, but that's great stuff. What is the biggest way that you elevate others around you, Arne? Um, I try to encourage and motivate people. Um, I'm kind of the little spark or the straw that stirs the drink. So um, I, I'm able to kind of bring people together and get them moving. And, and one of the things I enjoy most with my multifamily activity is I try to take uh, some of these younger folks who want to get into the space, uh, kind of under my wing, 
and give them the opportunity to get into this space and learn. And of course, they help me. It, it's got to be a win-win. It's a partnership. It's what value can I bring? What can you bring? So um, I'm really trying to help other people get in the active space. And then the other thing I'd say, the whole idea of putting together syndications and offering investment opportunities, we know there are many people that have demanding 50, 60 hour a week W-2 jobs. Coming from Silicon Valley, that's the norm, not the exception. So real estate has created a fairly comfortable, nice work-life balance for me throughout my lifetime. And so the other thing I do is I believe in real estate. I've seen it. And so to the degree we can help other people take some of that pressure off, and particularly since there are so many time demands on people if they can invest some of their capital in real estate and have it handled by professionals where they don't have to take the time, but it produces some income from them, I think we're really helping those people and ho hopefully helping them create a better life. Absolutely. And and looking forward to linking to Spark Investment Group in the show notes of this episode so that listeners who resonated with Arn today can reach out to you and build that relationship to understand, you know, how you can truly help them. And uh, I love that. But Arn, this has been such a fun conversation. I want to acknowledge you for sharing your wisdom uh, and really for having an amazing story that continues to evolve uh, and continuing to grow. Man, you're setting an amazing example for so many people that you know, I, I don't think that's the norm in today's society. I think people get a little complacent and they kind of, you know, they sit around and say, well, you know, that's not for me. And, you know, I've already done this for so long. And so let me just continue down that path. But I just think that you've set such an amazing example today. And I've really enjoyed our conversation. Do you have any parting thoughts or words of wisdom that you like to share with Elevate Nation? Uh, no, not at all. Uh, I've probably said enough today and uh, really appreciate meeting you. And it's great to interface with an individual who understands personal development is all part of it. And as my wise counselor once said, we want to get it on our second to last breath. So think about it, right? Because we're constantly evolving and if you get it and you're perfect, then what's kind of the point of life? So I think the goal is, is to keep learning and growing. And then maybe at that final moment, you reach nirvana. I don't know how to describe it, but if that makes sense to you, it's kind of a gross. So uh, I appreciate your focus and your whole energy around this. Yes, there's business and we got to take care of that. But the personal stuff is sort of so much more exciting at some level. And I enjoy kind of sharing that. So I've done a lot of work on myself. I'm still a work in progress, but uh, it's fun doing it. Yeah, we're all a work in progress, no matter where we are. And to your point, I think it's almost like enlightenment, you know, as you continue to invest in yourself, as you continue to ask yourself challenging questions, as you continue to go through, you know, overcoming fear, overcoming doubt, overcoming uncertainty, overcoming that discomfort that comes through growth, I would think that you get closer and closer to that sort of enlightenment. And I'm hopeful, I don't know about you, Arn, but I'm hopeful that 
we still have another way to grow. There's still another level, even when you reach there. So Arn Sinadella, man, thank you so much uh, for being on the podcast today. Where can the listeners find you and learn more about what you do? Yeah. Uh, so um, on social media, Facebook and LinkedIn, either Arn Sinadella or Spark Investment Group. Uh, website is investwithspark.com. So reach out and happy to talk. And uh, uh, I'll be at best ever next week. Tyler's going to be there. So whoever else is there, let's see if we can connect and uh, break a little bread and share some time together. Arn, until next time, my friend, thanks again for being on the podcast. We'll talk to you soon. Hey, thanks so much, Tyler. Elevate Nation, what a great conversation with Arn Sinandella. And I loved his story. I loved just really what he's been able to create, not only through continuing to commit to this investment vehicle of real estate, but continuing to evolve himself, continuing to expose himself to new learnings and a bit of humility. I feel like one of the big keys of you know, learning from Arn today is recognizing that he sees that he always has something new to learn. No matter where you are in your journey, you have something to learn. And there was some big takeaway, there's some distinctions. So what were those for you today? What are your top three, or one or two distinctions from today's episode, I want to encourage you to jot those down, and have a conversation with someone else and discuss with them. What was it that you loved about this conversation? What was it that you really thought about in terms of your evolution? What is it that you're most interested in learning as you continue to grow and expand as an investor, as a human being, you know, as you're reaching your own sort of uh, path of enlightenment, so to speak? What was it that really surprised you? What opened your eyes? What challenged you? And if you can have a discussion around those topics, I would imagine that you are going to learn so much more than just being a passive listener. And while I sincerely appreciate your ability to show up here and, and pay attention and learn and listen and engage in this type of conversation, the best thing for you to do now is to really put that into action and teach it to someone else, right? The teacher learns the most truly but also have a discussion and, and question, hey, what was it that didn't make sense to you? What was it that maybe you feel like you can develop more of a gut instinct, but you're not certain how? Um, you know, Maybe you're not certain in terms of what your strengths, your weaknesses are, and what holes you have in your organization or in your team. Because you know, yesterday I was talking on another podcast, someone asked me, you know, what advice would I give to others who are looking to expand their wealth? And my first thought was stop trying to do it all yourself. You've got to find other people around you to help you grow. And you're the quarterback. You know, you need an offensive line. You need a running back. You need a fullback. You need tight ends. You need wide receivers. You need coach. You need strategy. You need back office. You need all these things. If you want to do big things, you've got to think about the team. You are obviously a central component and the central component of your team. So think about how are you designing that team? How are you designing that support around you? So I think there's just so much value in today's discussion. I want to encourage you to listen again. And repetition is the mother of all skill. Ultimately, when you learn twice as much, then it is the opportunity for you to then take this into action. And 10 times your results as a result of learning and expanding through this discussion today. So thank you so much for listening, Elevate Nation. Until next time, we will see you then. And we appreciate you listening too.